Welcome to BIV Today, the daily business podcast from the newsroom of the Business and Vancouver newspaper and BIV.com. I'm Kurt LaPointe, Editor-in-Chief. The political focus in recent times in our community has had much to do with housing and its affordability, the fact that so many people have found themselves unable to live in Vancouver and have had to move elsewhere, outside of the city, even though they work here, which has raised questions about the quality and nature of our transportation system, our, our thoroughfares to bring cars into and out of the city, but primarily the health of our public transit system to bring workers in and out. Our regional mayors took an exceptionally long time to bring forward a long-term transit plan. And from the outset, it was criticized by some as inadequate to the task of planning for our community's development and by others as excessive or wrong-headed in the approach it was taking to the, almost to the culture we wish to encourage. A critical question has been the direction of development and the expansion of the infrastructure to include a more comprehensive subway line. A lot of questions about that. One that uh, the subway line that might stretch well beyond the existing Millennium Line out to University of British Columbia. My guest today is no stranger to this issue. Patrick Condon is a respected urban design professor at UBC's Center for Interactive Research on Sustainability. He's a frequent commentator on issues involving our planning and transportation. He has written quite a lot and been recently, again, critical of speculation that the subway is going to link the city out to the university on the endowment lands. And uh, it's great to have you with us. Great to be here, Kirk. Well, look, uh, so usually you frame questions along like, what do we need? But why don't we, uh, why don't we go the other way? What don't we need, do you think? Well, we don't need uh, uh, thickets of unaffordable uh, condo towers, which is what the subway out to UBC is, in my view, largely all about. The university, for example, has uh, in the past and continues to plan to sell off the land asset at UBC for condominium development. And the temptation to do that is enormous because the price per square foot for condominiums in this city now, using the Oak Ridge project as a benchmark, are over $2,000 a square foot, which put them entirely out of reach of the normal human being. Uh, but the profitability of those is just enormous. So the university, of course, is tempted to do that. So are other entities like the Musqueam Nation. At uh, They're already building on University Boulevard uh, at some high densities that not too many people know about. They've also uh, had uh, the UBC golf course ceded to them, and they are partners in the consortium at the Jericho land. So between those lands at UBC and the other ones that I've mentioned, you're looking at something up to a value of about $20 billion worth of condo development. So so why wouldn't uh, a subway spur the kind of uh, mass supply of condominiums? Uh, that would then perhaps give us something that is a little more affordable than what we have along that stretch at the moment. Well, I'm not a, I'm not a believer in the laws of supply and demand in this city. I think as we've added a tremendous amount of condominiums. We defy economics. No, I don't buy into that particular economic uh, church. As we've added uh, supply, the supply has largely been uh, addressed at what we call the global market. Mm-hmm. And $2,000 a square foot is not something that the average worker here who is making $80,000 per family can afford. They would need to be making over a quarter of a million dollars a year to afford what's being supplied. It's being supplied to what I call the investor class. Mm-hmm. And wage earners can't afford to 
buy into it unless they have access to capital. You know, what I call the bank of mom and dad sometimes mm -hmm. uh, plays a role here to allow uh, young millennials to afford to live here. So I don't think that supply is going to do anything but a neg but be a net negative uh, in terms of affordability. Everybody I know, my students are forced to move out of their apartments because they get rent evicted or out of the city because they want to have families. And I don't think that's right. And yet, uh, if you take a look at, at the area itself on the west side, it is um, one of the least densified areas in our community. And, and I guess there's going to be a lot of pressure now. There's uh, actual uh, rezoning that's been made possible by the last city council to, uh, to basically eliminate a lot of those single uh, family detached home uh, zoning areas and, and permit duplexes and so on to, to go there. We're going to see... Uh, densifying of that of that territory so how do we get people around if it's not going to be by subway well there's two things to say and answer your question first of all i've always advocated for additional density throughout the city not just in one corridor and under the present circumstances i think that there are devices by which we can insist that that be affordable that whatever is built is targeted uh targeted uh, th through special permitting for a certain kind of residences that are affordable for people who want to live and work here. Uh, how do we get around? I've long advocated that the whole city should be accessible to transit and ideally greenhouse gas zero transit. Mm -hmm. And for the same prices, what will in the end be about a six to eight billion dollar subway just to UBC, along the Broadway corridor, you could have, you could have surface light rail that would be greenhouse gas zero throughout the city on all the major arterials. You know what's not often uh, recognized is that the, that the city of Vancouver is a classic streetcar city. It grew up around the streetcar. All of our yeah. commercial streets, Dunbar, yeah, yeah it's great. Main it's street. grid was pretty. Designed yeah, it's a, it has a perfect. Uh, streetcar grid, and uh, that's why are we working against that basic framework when it's there and we can capitalize on it. And yet uh, TransLink will tell us, the city of Vancouver repeats it many times, that the B line, uh, the lovely 99 bus, is, uh, is North America's busiest bus line uh, day after day. Uh, there has to be some other solution there, though, in order to get what is the, the, the student population, the faculty population, every other, the, the, the worker population out to UBC in the morning? Well, if you look carefully, it's not TransLink that's been saying this is the big, busiest bus line in the world or wherever. It's been basically the city of Vancouver and the elected politicians who've had uh, a great desire to uh, have this subway. Uh, and TransLink is not the source of all the enthusiasm for this subway. Uh, their planners uh, for many decades really have also been hoping that we could have a surface rail system installed in this city because they recognize the flaws in the technology hmm. of the SkyTrain system. But uh, it's very dangerous to take that position at TransLink and the senior planners there uh, during the run-up to the 10-year plan, the, uh, the mayor's 10-year plan, were actually fired for having the audacity to say that we really didn't need a subway uh, on, on Broadway. My, my recollection, too, was that even with that uh, so-called 10-year plan, which I think you've pointed out is more like a 25-year plan, uh, that, that uh, there were still some questions on whether, in fact, that Millennium Line extension 
would go below ground, that it, uh, it may have only been financed uh, for uh, a true SkyTrain extension, which would have uh, <laughs> made a bit of an eyesore across, uh, across uh, you know, Broadway. Yeah. There's a bunch of technical issues, and I know way too much about this. That uh, I, I know more about this than is healthy for me, really, uh, <laughs> because it, you can get quite obsessed about it. But in answer to your question, the Millennium Line, you have to recognize that that's an antiquated technology. It was uh, the, the the best thing in the world in 1985. You know, it was very George Jetson-y mm-hmm. uh, to have linear induction motors and driverless uh, vehicles. But as we know, uh, as we've started to experience through constant breakdowns on the SkyTrain line. Every time there's like a half an inch of snow, the thing falls apart. So as you as you extend this system all the way out to UBC and in what will be the most expensive uh, tunneling probably in Canada, certainly to date, although the one in Toronto is competitive with it at about a half a billion dollars per kilometer, it seems foolhardy to create that expensive hole in the ground for a system that breaks down every time it it snows out in Coquitlam mm. because you know where it, where it runs on the surface and is subject to the vagaries of the weather it's prone to failure the other thing about it is it's not a full sized subway no. vehicle it's it's two thirds scale so it's its capacity is impeded by it, it's what we call its cross section if you've spend a lot of time riding the the Millennium Line, you know that it's very tiny inside, therefore its capacity is limited. The only way to increase the capacity is to lengthen the platforms. So it's a very expensive proposition to run a tunnel underground, which is their plan, underneath a forest, for goodness sake. We're not talking about high density, which is the usual justification for tunneling. It's quite insane to have a tunnel all the way out to UBC through what is either low density or uh, or a forest. Yeah, and I think even if we were really to get serious about this this afternoon, we're not looking at a, an extension that would arrive anytime before about 2030-something. Uh, it's certainly not going to do my students any good, but uh, you know, I've been informed by confidential sources within TransLink that the city of Vancouver under the previous administration was not interested at all in improving the situation for our students right now. There's many simple and inexpensive things that could be done. Like, like? Well, you could extend the loading areas for the 99, for example, so that you could run them in platoons. The city refused to, to really do the negotiations around that. You could reinforce the 84, uh, the 84 bus, which runs on Fourth Avenue out to UBC. You could, uh, you could uh, uh, have express buses that start at commercial that. You could have two loading platforms there, one, one for people who want to get on and off before you get to UBC and another one just for students at UBC that might might run extra buses during the crush period. Right. Uh, anyone who goes out there knows that, yeah, they have pass-ups, so-called pass-ups, but those only occur during uh, the rush hour in September and things taper off after that. Yeah. So uh, And this- going east is not the issue, is it? No. I mean, because because, no, because of it's the sta- much more. The staggered way in which right. uh, classes it's on, it's and It's only work at is. 8 o'clock, 8 through 9.30 in the morning going west that is an issue, which could be addressed. Five, on five days of a week uh, for 12 or 13 weeks. I don't think semester. it's 12 or 13, quite frankly. I teach out there. And, yeah. you know, the first day of school, everybody comes. But after that, they don't all come. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I found that out as a prof too. Um, the, the, so, so with these um, 
other possibilities in all this. Where do you think things like even autonomous vehicles fit in? Well, I'm a little bit of a skeptic about autonomous vehicles oh, yeah. because uh, they tend to, even if they could work out the bugs in them, we, that, let's assume that there were no technical issues. It would still crowd the streets with vehicles, so it's not But we have driverless uh, uh, subways. Would we have driverless buses at some point that would just be like sheer we, express we, vehicles? And We may, but yeah. the, the, the capacities of the street remain the same, and the artificial, I would argue, Mm-hmm. The artificial crisis that we that we uh, that we speculate about called you know the con- the, the 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 congestion carmageddon uh, on Broadway, which I haven't actually experienced. I think it's a bit like Trump's wall down there on the southern border of the United <laughs> States. Oh, there's a caravan of terrorists that are coming. Right. We, similarly, the, this is not our humanitarian no, crisis. The, similarly, the rhetoric around congestion on Broadway, particularly once you get beyond Granville, is, is kind of ludicrous, I think. So you think that um, uh, above-ground um, subway-like vehicles uh, some sort of would, would solve the issue of getting out to University of British Columbia? Is that is that really the critical Here, thing? Or here's is- what's the cheapest solution. Uh-huh. If listeners want to know the cheapest solution, cheapest solution is to build enough housing out at UBC to, so to people house stay, people all the live staff and, stay there. Yeah, and right. all the students and all the faculty who want to live there, which right. is a substantial number. The, the university refuses to do that. Hmm. And they could do that profitably. You know why? Because the land is free. They have a large inventory of land that they're selling off to the development industry, essentially, foreclosing the possibility of having student staff and faculty housing out there, but then turning around saying we need a subway to get all these people that can't afford to live out here, that can't, that don't have accommodations near campus. Well, plus uh, the university is, is suggesting that it is going to actually make some kind of a, a large-scale contribution in order to do that. Which seems absurd to me. If they're going, they're basically selling off the land resource to the highest bidder, uh, to filling it with forests of condominiums, and the land that they sell off, they can't get back again. Whereas for, they could also profitably supply their own faculty, students, and staff who would pay uh, handily. Already, they're paying handily. Not too many people know that the cost per square foot for student residences out at UBC is is in many cases, twice as much per square foot as a rental in in Kitsilano. They're already extracting profits from their student housing operation. Well, I think that's a little bit greedy at the levels that they're asking. They could certainly profitably supply housing for students, faculty, and staff out there and maintain their access to the resource of land, which is a public good. Yeah. So you were were potentially, of course, going to be a mayoralty candidate, um, and you had a health setback, and I'm glad to see that you're, you're back on your feet. Um, uh, do you see anything that has happened since the election that suggests that there is um, a different tack being taken here around transit? Uh, yeah, they were even more aggressive about the subway than the previous <laughs> administration, which I found really surprising. The yeah. current mayor of the city of Vancouver has ran in his campaign on, on on the absolute necessity of getting a subway tunnel at a half a billion dollars all the way out to UBC, and I find that quite quite shocking. Why is it shocking? Because it, you know the, the 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 headline of a subway is that it is there for the masses, right? Uh, well, 
as I've as I've pointed out, if we really cared about the masses of people who needed to get out to UBC, it would be far, far cheaper just to house them out there without the university begging the rest of the taxpayers to build them a subway for that purpose. I think that's ludicrous. Do you think um, that this also gives rise to the potential of uh, of the endowment lands being integrated into the city of Vancouver? I'm a sustainability expert, not a trans, trans, transit expert. So I always approach these questions for what's the least, what's the most sustainable strategy? Mm-hmm. And it's not the most sustainable strategy to invest in an infrastructure that's expressly for the purpose of getting people from like 40 kilometers away from where they want to be when there's more efficient options to put people closer to where they want to be and use and, and, and in that process, they you end up saving a lot of money and you make the quality of people's lives a whole lot better in the process. So, of course, for me, this seems ludicrous to think it's a it's a sustainable strategy to to intentionally create a system where you're forcing people further and further away from where they want to be, mm-hmm. and in response. You say, well, we'll build a four or eight billion dollar subway to get them back and forth through a hole in the ground. That seems ridiculous. Yeah. Um, last last area, Patrick. I mean, if if um, if we see this happen, what would the city then uh, reshape as? Well, I think you can kind of see what the future is by going up to the Oak Ridge Mall and exploring. Uh, the 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 sales center for what they call unwritten. Uh, it's uh, it looks like uh, 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 a, a luxury estates that uh, at two thousand dollars plus per square foot, no one can afford. We can all feel jealous that we can't live on the thirtieth <laughs> floor of this building. Mm-hmm. Uh, and enjoy the wonderful views and, you know, and be the skinny people that are illustrated hanging out on the balconies. But that's yeah. exactly what we're going to have is uh, a series of these Oak Ridge style uh, f- thickets of unaffordable condominiums. And our sons and daughters are going to be forced out of the city out to uh, out to cheaper pastures. Yeah. By then, does it begin to have an actual impact? on the university's own enrollment and population. If I mean, we talk a lot about people not being able to live and work here, but is it going to come to the point where they can't live and go to school here? Well, this is the kind of unexplored uh, issue here about who is, who or for whom is UBC for? Mm-hmm. And increasingly, that's uh, international students. Uh, BC students are having a harder and harder time getting in. Uh, and that's, I think, unfortunate. And, and I think that also ought to be reexamined. Mm. Who, in fact, is the university for? It's I, I have delightful international students, and I'm glad to have them. But I don't like to see the situation arise where the traditional students for UBC no longer can get into that university. I think it has a definite effect. There's an ancillary associated effect where you have unaffordable condominium towers and, and essentially what becomes unaffordable or inaccessible, inaccessible University of British Columbia. I think it's a disgrace. Yeah. Good to see you. Yeah. It's always fun. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Come back again. I will. Patrick Condon. I'm Kirk LaPointe. Thanks a lot for listening to BIV today. We'll see you next time. 